We are uh, continuing our series looking at Scripture, looking at the Bible, and about what it means to make it a priority in our lives, how we make it a priority in our lives, some of the things that we can do to do that, some of the reasons why we should uh, do that. And uh, so, so we are uh, continuing that today. You know, the first week, we looked at that passage from Deuteronomy 6 that we call the, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, hear, the Lord your God is one. And we looked at that and we saw that one of the things that we're supposed to do is how we're supposed to make Scripture a part of our lives in every capacity. We're, we're supposed to consider the words of the Lord when we lie down and when we get up. I don't know about you, but I'm either normally lying down or getting up, right? There's not a whole lot of in-between. I'm asleep or I'm awake most of the time. Sometimes I'm in that fuzzy in-between spot, and that's when the cat really likes to jump up on me. We're supposed to consider the words of the Lord by putting them on the doorpost of our houses and on our city gates. It's supposed to determine the way we interact with our family and with the people around us. That was the first week. Last week, we looked at Psalm 1, and we saw that there are things that we're not supposed to do and some things that we are called to do. And one of the most important things that we saw that we're called to do is we're supposed to delight in the Lord's instruction. We're supposed to delight in the Lord's instruction. We're supposed to to love the Lord's instruction for us. But we also saw how that's not really possible apart from Christ and apart from what Christ has done for us. That it's, that it's by Christ and through Christ that He changes the affections of our heart and we're able to come to love the things of God. That it's God that regenerates us and gives us a new heart and new affections, affections for the things of God so that we may delight in them. This week we're going to be in the Psalms again. We're going to be in Psalms 19. So if you want to go ahead and start turning over to Psalm 19, I would encourage you to do so. If you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, I would encourage you to to grab one of those black hardback Bibles in front of you and turn with me to Psalm 19. Maybe you're having a bit of a, a moment this morning and you can't remember where the Psalms are. It's right there in the middle of your Bible. And also, let me take this as an opportunity. If you don't have a copy of Scripture to call your very own, it needs to be a priority in your life. And so take one of these black hardback Bibles with you as our gift to you this morning. We are in Psalm 19. You know, I think it's great that we are in this series so far, we've been in the Old Testament because one of the things that it's showing us is it's showing us that God's people have always been a people of his word. That, that being people of God's word is not something that started, I don't know, with the first Baptist church or with the Reformation or even with Christianity, but that from the beginning, God's people have always listened to, written down, and learned and Fred, his word. So we are in Psalm number 19. We're going to be starting with verse number 7. Will you stand with me as we read God's word together? The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, 
making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let us pray. Dear God, as we open your word today, as we consider your, your instructions, your perfect instructions, your trustworthy testimony, your precepts, God, I pray that it would be to us a, a treasure more, more valuable than gold, that it would be to us food that is sweeter than honey. Let your word shape us and form us this morning. And as we open your word, as we study it together, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. May be seated again. So, I think for many of you, if I were to say the word revelation, you might think of the last book of Scripture, correct? But, but that word, revelation, doesn't need to be just applied to a single book of Scripture. In fact, all of Scripture is revelation. It is the revealing of God to His people. And we have, there are two kinds of revelation. I know this is, sounds really boring on the front end, but stick with me. I think, I think you're going to get something out of this. There are two kinds of revelation. There's what we call general revelation and specific or special revelation. So, general revelation, this first category, that's, that's re- revelation that's accessible to all. That's accessible to everybody. Anywhere in the world, anyone who has ever lived has access to God's general revelation. The things that God has said about himself that are available to everyone. Now, sometimes we don't think about that, right? We, we, get, we get rightly so committed to special revelation, which we'll get to in a second, that we forget that there is general revelation. That God has revealed himself to all people at all times in various ways. The, the, the way that God has done this is through creating and sustaining all things. Through, through this. I mean, there's a reason that when we look at a sunset or the Grand Canyon or... Whatever it is that tickles your fancy. For some of y'all, it probably is a field of perfectly mature tobacco. It's a beautiful sight, right? Or, or the river. We went down yesterday. We went down to Lumber River and we're walking. And there, there's some spots there where the, the, the trail comes down to the river and it opens up. And it's just beautiful. There's a reason that when we see those things... We, we think of God. 
Because in sustaining us and in creating us and giving us all of this, he's, he's revealing his existence to us. That's, that's general revelation. You know, there are sort of four ways that this, that this works out. He, he reveals himself, God reveals himself in nature on the whole. Just sort of everywhere we look, we can see, we can see God. If you really, really know what's happening out there, it's hard not to see God. How things work so perfectly together. When you really start getting into the nerdy nuts and bolts science of, man, if, if our planet was just like three degrees tilted that way, we wouldn't be here. If we were in the great cosmic scheme of things, just, just a fraction further, closer or further away from the sun, we wouldn't be here. If our magnetic poles didn't function the way that they did to create the magnetosphere, solar winds would just blow all of our atmosphere away and we would die grasping for air irradiated by cosmic rays. Everything works so well. And when you see that, it's hard not to see God at work. And so we see that God reveals himself as nature as a whole, but he also reveals himself in the laws that govern nature, right? That, that create this harmony together. As we look closer even at ourselves, we see that, that God reveals himself in, in the harmonious ways in which our body works together. I'll never remember, I'll never forget, I was, I was taking anatomy and physiology in college at a, at a state school. And our professor is talking about the the intricate chemical reactions that are happening inside your cell to make you exist. To make you turn not just into something other than a, a gloopy glop of protoplasm. And he looks there and he says, he says, you know, when you see this, And you see how perfectly balanced this is in the human body. It's hard not to think that somebody made it this way. Because here's the thing. Some of you you are are motorheads, gearheads, right? You like engines. Some of you not a big fan of engines right now because you've had some trouble with one. But if you took an engine apart and you threw it in a paper bag and you shook it up, I don't care how long you shake it, you are never going to get a functioning internal combustion engine, are you? You've got to have somebody take all of those parts, first of all, design all of those parts to work together, and then take all those parts and put them together. See, I don't believe the old axiom that if you take a hundred monkeys and stick them in a room for a billion years with a bunch of typewriters, they'll produce the works of Shakespeare. I don't think that's true. I think you'll have a really messy office and a bunch of broken typewriters. You know, the way our bodies work, the way nature works, is is a revelation from God. And then also God reveals himself in in aspects of of humanity that, that sort of transcend physical explanation. There is a reason that no matter where you go in the world, with very few exceptions, the general rule is don't kill the guy that lives next door to you. Right? 
There's, there's a reason that we sort of see these things over and over again because God has, has created us and created in us these things that transcend the physical. Morality transcends the physical. And yet, there is this sort of base layer everywhere you go in the world. You know, there, there's in Scripture, there's, Scripture talks about this general revelation. One of, the, one of the most, maybe most famous places is in Acts 17, when Paul goes to the Areopagus, or because I can never say that word, Mars Hill, to talk to the Athenians. And he says, look, look, you, you are a very religious people. You've got all of these temples to all of these gods. You are so religious, I even found an altar to an unknown god. Now let me tell you about that god. You know how everything's made and how everything works. You're smart. You're Greek. You're, you're, com- you're Athenians. You're committed to, to thoughtful care on thinking about the world. You know how everything works together. That's God at work. Let me tell you more about him. We see it in Romans 1. When Paul sort of laying out the case and how no one is to be free from the burden of sin. No one is to be free from the condemnation that comes from being sinners. We see, particularly if we look at Romans 1, 19 and 20. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. We see it in the prologue of John's Gospel, when John makes it clear that the Logos, the Word, Jesus, was present in creation and woven into creation so that all people could come to know him. And at the beginning of Psalm 19, if we were to start at the, have started at the beginning of this psalm, we would see that the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. You know, we've, that's sort of been driven home over the last couple of weeks, the, thinking at the expanse as we've seen these images come in from the Webb Space Telescope. Hundreds of billions of galaxies that he holds in the palm of his hand. So that's general revelation. That's that's why none of us have an excuse to not seek God. Because God has made it so clear in His creation that He is there and that He is the Creator and that He is present. There is no excuse. All of us can, can seek Him. But here's the problem. Until you have special revelation, you can't know everything you need to know. And that's what special revelation is. Special revelation is the teaching about God and His works that He has given to us through the prophets and the apostles, and which is now contained primarily, or I would say exclusively, in the Bible. It's revelation that's been given by God to particular individuals that He has chosen to speak to and to speak to through the first the first words of our confession of faith of the baptist faith and message 
is this. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is the record of God's revelation of himself to man. You know, general revelation is important. And I would hate for us to ever not participate and not think about general revelation. Because as, as we saw this morning, it is a way to engage with non-believers. It's a way to, to start the conversation with them, to bring them special, specific revelation. But general revelation cannot ever supersede the special revelation. How many of you know somebody who says something like, I don't need to know to go to church. I get enough of God in the woods or in the deer stand or on the golf course or at the beach or at home in bed. Right? We've all known somebody. We've all known somebody like that. If we're honest, maybe some of us from time to time have said things like that. And there's some truth there. They can experience God there. That God has made those places and that beauty for us to experience Him. But they cannot know everything they need to know about God without getting into His Word. So Psalm 19, the first several verses are about this general revelation, but then the verses that we're looking at today are about specific revelation, about His Word and about the characteristics of God's Word. And we see seven things listed out as the characteristics of God's Word. You know, last week we had three, and it made my Baptist preacher heart very happy. Three is a nice number, you know, three points in a poem, and you've got a sermon, it's great. Seven makes me a little uncomfortable, but but we're not going to spend as much time on each of them. First, the first characteristic that we see is that God's Word is... The first characteristic of God's word that we see is that the instruction of the Lord is perfect and that it renews one's life. Perfect here means whole or complete. It is all that it needs to be. It lacks nothing. Scripture lacks nothing. Everything you need to know to be what God expects you to be has been revealed in his word. There is nothing that you need to know about God or your relationship with Him that cannot be found here. While general revelation is important in pointing us to God, it cannot tell us what this tells us about who God is and our relationship with Him. We call this idea that Scripture is perfect and whole and there's nothing we need not in here. We call it the sufficiency of Scripture. That Scripture is sufficient enough in telling us the things that we need to know about God. You know, we often get into trouble when we think that Scripture isn't sufficient and we go looking for truth in other places. That takes us back to Psalm 1 and we seek advice from the wicked from places other than Scripture. So when we see that it's perfect and that in its perfection and that it can renew us and provide us with abundant life. As we follow it, we're going to be provided with that life that God desires for us. A life which is abundant. Now, I want to be clear here. This abundant life does not mean abundant in the ways of the world. It does not mean abundant in the way that somebody 
who doesn't know Scripture might think that, hey, man, abundant life is an Escalade in the driveway, $100,000 in the bank account, a place at the beach and in the mountains. That's an abundant life. That's not what Scripture tells us is an abundant life. And when God's Word promises us an abundant life, that's not the promise. The promise is that it will be abundant by the true measure of abundance. That it will be abundant by God's measure, not ours. We need to stop measuring our life by our rule and our standard and measure it by his. Second, the second characteristic that we see is that, is that the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy and that it makes the inexperienced wise. The Bible is reliable. You can count on it. We look back to the Baptist faith and message. The, what it says is, is that it is truth without any mixture of error. You can count on Scripture to be trustworthy, to tell you the truth. I hope that you have people in your life that you can trust completely. But even the person that you trust completely, if you ask them the right or perhaps wrong question, they're going to maybe, as Emily Dickinson might say, tell the truth but tell it slant. Baby, do I look fat in this dress? I don't know why I'm wearing a dress. It's really weird. Here's the thing. Even the most trustworthy person in your life is capable of telling you a falsehood. Maybe they never do, but they're capable of it. The word of God is incapable of telling you a falsehood. It's God's word. Just as God is incapable of lying to us, it is not in who he is. He cannot do it. Likewise, his word cannot tell us a falsehood. And in that process, in in telling us the truth, truth is what gives us experience, right? Truth is what what grows us and turns us from, from inexperienced fools into experienced, wizened elders. And that's what the Word of God can do. When we get into it, we can grow in experience and we can grow in wisdom. And even those who who are young, can become experienced in God. The third characteristic is this. The precepts of the Lord are right, and they make the heart glad. The divine principles of the Bible lead a person down a right path. Just as Scripture is incapable of lying to you, it is incapable of misleading you and taking you down the wrong path. Now, I want to be very clear. You can make that mistake. You can misunderstand, misapply, misinterpret Scripture. But Scripture on its own cannot lead you down the wrong path. If you follow God's Word, you will never end up in the wrong place. Ever. And for those of us who have on occasion found ourselves in places that we should not be, That's nice and comforting and assuring to know that if I am following God's word, I will never find myself in some of the messes that I have found myself in in my life. 
I occasionally have to remind y'all, I have not always been a pastor. Scripture, God's word, points out the path that we ought to take and, the, and promises us the blessing for taking it. We see this in other places in Scripture too. Jeremiah 6.16, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. This is what the Lord stands. Stand at the roadways and look. Ask about the ancient paths. Which is the, which is the way to what is good? And then take it and find rest for yourselves. It would be great if it stopped there. But it's Jeremiah, so it doesn't stop there. But they protested. We won't. How many times can we look at Scripture as it points us down the right, correct path that will lead to our blessing and our flourishing, and we go, nah, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go my own way. Psalm 119, 105, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's a guide to where I'm supposed to go. The fourth characteristic is this. The command of the Lord is radiant and it makes the eyes light up. You've been there, right? Talking to somebody who's telling you about the new boy or the new girl that they're talking to and their eyes light up. Or maybe you're a little older and your interests have, have changed. You're married. You don't, you're not looking for that. But man, let me tell you, I saw this golf club the other day. Your eyes light up. I was on the auction site, and let me tell you, let me tell you the shotgun that they had. Your eyes light up. But it's the command of the Lord, it's the, it's the words of the Lord that are radiant. It's the words of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord that are eye-opening to us. They illuminate dark situations so that we can know how to proceed. The Word of God is light. We see that in John 1, right? When he's talking about the Word, and he means the Word, but he means Jesus, and he says in Him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The light of God shines out from His Word. The fifth characteristic is that the fear of the Lord is pure and endures forever. God reveals Himself without contamination or without flaw. God is perfect and pure and holy and His Word is perfect and pure and holy because it is of Him. His Word is also unchanging. And, and relevant, and it endures forever. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You remember that, right? The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it is always relevant. You know, a few years ago, that was the byword in a lot of ministry. How do we make ministry relevant to the world around us. And my answer to this is, if you can't open the Bible and read it and see how it is relevant to the ministry of the people that you are serving, you have no business standing in a pulpit. You have no business leading a Sunday school class. You've got no business leading youth. If you can't open God's Word and see the relevance to people's lives, 
It endures forever. Six, we see that the ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. Ordinance is a, is a judgment, a, a, a verdict that's delivered from a judge's bench. And so we can be assured that everything that comes from the supreme judge, from God himself, is righteous and true. Seventh, we see that the words of God are more desirable than gold. The Bible is more precious than your paycheck, than your bank account, than your stock portfolio. It is more valuable than anything the world has to offer because it can provide what the world doesn't have. The truth, the pure, righteous, perfect truth about God. It's also sweeter than honey. If if Andy had been able to be here today, this might be an opportunity to ask him to tell us about how sweet the honey is coming off of the honeycomb. If you don't know, Andy keeps bees. Andy Leggett keeps bees. Have any of y'all ever had honey fresh from the comb? It's pretty sweet, right? I think it's sweeter and better than the stuff you get from the store. And yet, the Word of God is sweeter than that. But here's the thing. How do you know if something is sweet? You've got to taste it, right? You've got to experience it. You can't look at honey and tell that it's sweet. You've got to stick it in your mouth. You've got to smell it. You've got to experience it. In the same way, we have to experience the Word of God in order to understand, in order to comprehend its sweetness. Scripture tells us to taste and see. So how do we experience the Word? Well, y'all know this, because I say it every week. The first way we experience the Word is by what? Read it. you got to read it. The simple truth is is that we must read the Word of God to know the Word of God. There is no such thing as learning this by osmosis. Do you remember osmosis? In which particles move across a semi-permeable membrane in order to achieve balance on both sides. You can't stick the Bible under your pillow at night and have it seep into your brain. It doesn't work that way. I've tried I've tried with Bible, and I've tried with the chemistry textbook, and it doesn't work in either case. You've got to read it. You've got to study it. Here's the thing. When you read Scripture, are you reading Scripture, or are you just flying through it to check the box? I read my Scripture today. Are Are you savoring it? In the miniseries, The Pacific, the first episode, the the Marines, the first Marines are on Guadalcanal. And they're sitting around and they're reading letters that they've received from loved ones and folks back home. And Robert Leckie reads a letter, or at least part of a letter, 
from Vera, a young woman in his hometown whom he did not have much of a relationship with, but they chose to write to each other while he was in the Marines. He, he savors that letter. He reads every word. He studies it. He knows it. He keeps it with him. Those letters become precious to him. It becomes one of the things that keeps him going through the horrors of the war in the Pacific. And in fact, in the course of the movie, what we see, or the course of the miniseries, what we see is by riding back and forth to each other, these two young people who didn't really know each other fall in love and get married. Because he savored the words. Are you savoring and studying the Word of God? Are you, are you keeping it with you in the foxhole? In, in moments of despair, are you pulling it out and reading it? Are you pouring over every word of it, trying to discern and pull out every bit of meaning that God has for you in it? Or is your time in the Word a perfunctory box check? I did what I need to do today. Need to study the Word. We provided last week a, a list of some resources to help you do that. Let me, let me suggest a couple other things. If you don't have one, get yourself a good study Bible. If you need help picking one out, I'll be happy to help you do that. After you have yourself a good study Bible, get a good single-volume Bible commentary. And then after that, get a good single-volume Bible dictionary. Help you with any of that stuff. In fact, here's the thing. You can actually call the church office, and we can order it from Lifeway for you, and you get a discount. I don't know if I should say that publicly, but we'll do it. I just turned Trish into a bookseller. Read. Really read the Word. Okay, reading it is the first thing. What's the second thing to experience it? Believe it. You, got, you jumped ahead. It's okay. We'll get there. Read it. Believe it. Live it. Believe it. Believe it. You know, studying it is not just something that we do with our brains. That's important. It is important. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? But we're also supposed to believe the Word of God. This is not suggestions. These are not the musings of a really smart man or really smart men that can teach us something about life. This is the Word of God. Totally perfect, totally true, totally trustworthy. You've got to believe it. Now, this is one of the points where I think we can get ourselves into trouble. We can, we can turn it into something to study and to think about and to intellectualize to a point that we don't believe it anymore. This is what happens to a lot of young people, unfortunately, when they go to college and they go to seminary. And they go to study because they love God and they love His Word. And somewhere in the process, it becomes an intellectual pursuit and they disconnect their head from their heart. And they don't believe it anymore. So we've got, to, we've got to read it, we've got to study it, but we've got to believe it. We've got to make sure our head and our heart are connected when we come to Scripture. The third is live it. Again, this is not suggestions. These are commands. It's not like, hey, I think it would be a really good idea if... It's thou shalt. 
You will. And as I said earlier, if we follow this, we just cannot go wrong, no matter how sideways we end up with the people around us. And let me say, if we are following the word of God, we are going to end up sideways with the people around us. We're going to end up sideways with the world. Because the ways of the world are not the ways of God. And if we, if we read this, if we believe this, if we live this, we're going to be in contest with the world around us. And sometimes in ways that we don't expect. I'm going to add another one for today. Internalize it. Read it, believe it, live it, but internalize it. Put it down inside. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, right, we've stored up You've stored up, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Scripture memorization is important. I am not any good at it. I'm not good at memorizing anything. It's why I was awful with any language I ever tried to study. I just cannot memorize declensions. But, but try. Because here's the thing. Even if you try and memorize Scripture, even if you fail... You've spent the time with it, savoring it and musing it over and turning it over and over that you'll be surprised what you end up with. You know, there's a reason on Sunday morning when we read Scripture, I say these things. It's not because it sounds good. It's not because it's, it's, a, it's a nice thing to say. I, sit, I, I am imploring you every Sunday to read it, to believe it, and to live it because it is important. To do those things with the holy and perfect Word of God. The Word of God that teaches us and shows us who He is and what our relationship is to be with Him. Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be 320. Turn your